reflecting on the incarnation of Christ as John presents it to us here in the first chapter of his gospel. First, we're going to look at the evidences for Christ's two natures. So Christ is both fully divine and yet simultaneously he was fully human. Then we're going to look at the implications of Christ being fully divine in nature. And then finally, we're going to look at the implications of Christ being fully human in nature. Before I begin, though, I'd like to give a caveat. So because the incarnation of Christ is a, is a pretty complex theological concept, there's not enough time this evening for me to, um, to probably give it, to give it full, uh, its full due. Um, and, and honestly, if time, even if time weren't limited, I don't know that I'm qualified to do that. So um, I'm not going to give, uh, I'm not going to go into fully the incarnation as I probably could. Um, I also intend to stay focused primarily on this text, though there are many additional texts that could be referenced concerning this topic. And finally, um, while there are a couple of textual difficulties contained within the first 18 verses of John, there's really only one, in my opinion, that has a, a major theological distinction. That's at the end of verse one. Um, some translators argue that it should read instead it should read that the word was a God. But I just I'm just going to say that the grammar of the Greek language, it more than sufficiently supports the translation that you and I have in our Bibles, which is the word was God. So John begins his gospel echoing the words of Genesis in the beginning. And while John's presenting the creation story, he's he's giving us the story from a different perspective. He focuses our attention on the word. Now, what scholars translate as the word um, in Greek, um, it's, where, it's where we get our word logic from. It could also be translated as reason or thought. Now, John doesn't mean reason in the sense of like, justification. Like, you know, you, you, you may ask a child, like, why did you hit your brother? You know, we're not looking for that type of reason or a justification for something. But instead, um, what he's saying is, is that in Jesus Christ, all reason and logic are, are there in one being, as opposed to these abstract concepts that the Greek philosophers of John age, John's age um, would have um, would have discussed when they talked about uh, talked about the word. So John tells us he tells us three things about the word. So the three powerful theologically laden statements upon which both Christ's divinity is established as well as the Trinity. He tells us that the word always existed. He tells us that the word has had an intimate relationship with God and that, in fact, the word is God himself. So I want to look uh, briefly at each one of these. We know that the word has always existed because he was in the beginning. As verse three states, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Whereas Paul writes in Colossians 1:16, he says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So the simple logic of these verses tells us that Jesus, as the word, could not have been a created being because nothing that was created came into being without Jesus creating it. John also tells us that the word was with God. That is that he existed from the beginning in a close personal relationship with God. 
It's, it's similar to our modern expression when people say, you know, are, are you with me or, you know, are you with me or are you against me? Um, it, what he means is that God the Son and God the Father are unified in one person. They're not two separate people. They're not two people who just agree on a lot of things all the time. Um, but they are unified in one person. In fact, John tells us that not only are they the same person, but he tells us that the word was God, thereby eliminating any possible ambiguity about the divinity of Jesus. So having established that the word was God himself um, and the fact that um, the word to which he is referring is Jesus Christ, because in verses six through eight, he talks about John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist was there to bear witness for Jesus Christ, the coming Savior. And, um, and we also know that in verse 17, um, John references Jesus Christ specifically. So having established that, he then goes in verse, to verse 14 and he talks about the word became flesh. It's a powerful statement. Powerful statement when we think about the incarnation of Christ. And what that means for everybody in the world. He writes that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So he who was from the beginning and who created everything in the world, everything that exists, he himself became a created being. Now, he didn't change insofar as that who he was before and had existed as before for all eternity, um, he was the same person, but he became an infant incarnated in our world. There's a, a one um, one 17th century poet, uh, John Donne, he he writes a poem about this, actually, and he he uses a phrase and he was addressing Mary and he He's talking to Mary um, and he says, you have become thy maker's maker. Uh, pretty interesting way to put it when you look at when you consider the incarnation. So we know that in one person, both the attributes of being fully divine and fully human now exist. And as we heard earlier um, in the reading from Isaiah 9, 6, for to us, a child is born a son is given. That's the humanity of Christ. But his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father. That's his, his divinity. Both aspects are united in Christ and have been at this point in time in the incarnation. Uh, John Wesley once penned, uh, he, he once penned a hymn regarding this miracle. And he said, God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. It's a great, great verse um, in the hymn. Um, God contracted to a span. So you take the eternal God and contract it into a span. And you can look at span in different ways. One, you can look at it and say lifespan. God was contracted into a lifespan 33 years on this earth. Um, or the span has another meaning. It's the distance between the end of your thumb and your forefinger or just about the right distance to um, hold a baby in your hand. Pretty powerful hymn. Having established the word as God himself and the fact that, um, that the word to which he is referring... Um, let me change my page. Sorry. 
So having affirmed that these two natures exist in the person of Jesus, what are the implications for his divinity for us? So verse four tells us that Jesus is life and light. Not only is Jesus the origin and creator of all physical life, but he's the origin of spiritual life as well. As Jesus tells us in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Though we may look at our world and read in the news about the brokenness of humanity and the darkness that pervades our world in so many ways. Um, we read about the, um, about the sins of individuals. We read about the tragedy in Connecticut um, a little over a week ago. We read about um, child abuse, or maybe we read even just about simple things um, such as um, neglecting to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus offers a light that cannot be overcome by this darkness, and he beckons each of us to follow him. Furthermore, because he is eternally existent with God and is God, we know that in Jesus there can be no imperfection. It's a critical concept for us to know when we consider his death on the cross. Though we might read, though we read um, in Matthew 4, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan. Um, we know that in his very, very nature, he is God and he's incapable of sin. And this brings us to the importance of the Incarnation and its implications for us. Jesus Christ, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, entered our world through the miracle of a virgin birth. While there are many implications regarding his Incarnation, there are really just three that I want to focus on tonight. The first one, Christ knows sinners, though he himself never knew sin. As one commentator puts it, although Christ was without sin, he was born under the law, not only as one obligated to fulfill it, but also as one identified with sinners who are under the curse of the law. This identification extends all the way from Bethlehem to Calvary, where the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands was set aside, having been nailed to the cross. He's not a distant God, nor is he unacquainted with suffering or sorrow. Instead, he received the punishment for all sins so that God the Father can look at us as if we have no sin. Second, the incarnation of Jesus is a call to mission for all who believe. One commentator writes about the incarnation. He says, Christ took flesh and was made in a particular time and place, family, nationality, tradition, and customs, and sanctified them, while still being for all men in every time and place. Wherever he is taken by the people of any day, time, and place, he sanctifies that culture. He's living in it. But to acknowledge this is not to forget that there is another and equally important force at work among us, not only does God in his mercy take people as they are, he takes them to transform them into what he wants them to be. Christ was a real and physical witness to the world in which he lived. And he left each one of us 
the mission to be the same witness in our particular time and place, family, nationality, tradition and customs, in order that they might be sanctified by him and through his spirit. And finally, Christ eternally bears the marks of the incarnation. And this should serve as a reminder to us of his grace towards us and an emblem of his love for the father. As we see in verse 17 of the reading today, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's this grace and truth that we recall at Christmas time, not only the story of Christ's birth, but the plan from the beginning of time that his physical birth would purchase eternal life for all who believe in his name. As Ben Johnson wrote in the poem I shared earlier, can man forget this story? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible story um, and the, the challenge that it is to our lives. And I pray, God, that as we consider these words as we consider the story in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that our lives would be changed, uh, changed by the power of the words, changed by the power of this miracle, as um, this miracle has changed the course of the entire history of humanity. We thank you for the incarnation of Christ. We thank you, um, and most importantly, Lord, for your plan to redeem sinners in this world to all those who believe in your name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.